Troy, it's okay to admit it. You had to stall time. You, you well. I don't know about that. I think you just forgot what day it was for a second. For a moment, there was part of me that wanted to fall back to that Monday. It's been a long day, man. It's me all the time. Me all the time. That's why I just decided not to say the day of the week anymore. Or the time. Everybody has a (laughs) clock. Everybody has a calendar. It's all on your phone. It's hour two of the game. It's the game after work. The game after dark. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, just us two today. DG still out. Go vote, guys. Go vote. Right now, as a matter of fact, go vote for the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year. KSA head coach Chris Kleiman is one of five finalists this year. He's joined by Willie Fritz of Tulane, Jim Harbaugh of Michigan, Kirby Smart of Georgia, and Kyle Whittingham of Utah. Here is how you vote. Go to Twitter. If you don't have a Twitter, make one. And then go to at the Dodd Trophy. All you have to do is vote is just retweet their tweet of Coach Kleiman being announced as a finalist. So here's the update on the voting with all the retweets. I'll just go in order of their tweets because they were all sent out six hours ago. So it was announced at about 11 a.m. Of the five finalists, Willie Fritz has 90 retweets. John uh, Jim Harbaugh, rather, has 404 retweets. Kirby Smart of Georgia has 13 retweets. Where are you at, dogs? Kyle Whittingham of Utah. I expect him to get a lot. 527. And for K-State head football coach Chris Kleiman, he has 1,233. Go retweet. Let's make this a blowout. I don't know if the Bobby Dodd Trophy, this is everything they consider for the vote. Or maybe if, if it's just a small part of it. But if it counts, go vote. Very important. Chris Kleiman could be the Bobby Dodd coach of the year. And if you have a say in it, Go say your piece. Again, that's uh, on Twitter, at the Dodd Trophy. Go retweet the tweet of Coach Kleiman being named a finalist, and that is a official vote. I've already retweeted it on all of our uh, station accounts, so, Troy, you're good there. You don't have to go do it. Razzie. Yeah, all taken care of. Also, as well, Troy's been mentioning in the Game Sports updates, but uh, the Sugar Bowl pep rally details have been announced. It'll be the evening before the bowl game on December 30th. So there's a there's a pep rally that's going to follow the parade. There's always a Sugar Bowl parade. And I'm not a parade guy, but it is Mardi Gras style. Nice. And, well, it's New Orleans, I mean. I mean, it's sure. It's got to be. Yeah. I have been a part of a parade in New Orleans once upon a time. As a matter of fact, it was this past April when my cousin got married. It is tradition in New Orleans after the parade. This brass band comes out of the basement of this church, starts playing a song, and the married couple follows them out. So does the party. And then all the guests follow them out. And we literally walk through the streets. We're waving around these 
white handkerchiefs. Everybody's got a beer in the other hand. Yeah. Because in New Orleans, it's open container. You can walk around with a drink if you want to. Little fun nugget about uh, New Orleans there for you. And we just did kind of this uh, three block lap. And people were coming out of their houses cheering and stuff, hooting and hollering, waving their fists in the air. It was a good time. Talk about clean living. This might be a little bit different, but it's uh, definitely going to be a show. This is more my style of parade. Mardi Gras style, floats, bands, uh, a bunch of participants. It's going to start at 2.30, south into the French Quarter. So it's going to be like around Jackson Square, uh, St. Louis Cathedral is right there. It'll be to the south of that. By the way, a very cool place, Jackson Square. The cathedral is really cool looking. And then it'll head towards the New Orleans Convention Center. It's, I believe that's actually right towards where the, uh, the parade wraps up. So the doors of the Convention Center will open at 4 o'clock. It's at 900 Convention Center Boulevard. Not too hard to forget or to remember. And again, it's on Friday. So doors open at 4, and I don't know when they plan to actually start the pep rally. It'll just kind of start when they're ready to start. I think that's the way it goes. And uh, I hope to have it on on air here on K-Man Live once it gets underway. We'll obviously have a show. We'll definitely be doing the show from New Orleans the Thursday and Friday before the, the bowl game we're leaving on Wednesday. So there you go. One information, newsradiokman.com. You can also hit us up on Facebook. You'll find the information there as well. I also tweeted it out at Mitch the Ford. All right. Let's get back to the big news of the day. If you didn't hear the first hour, go back to our podcast. Look us up on SoundCloud, the Game Cam, and wherever you get your podcast for the uh, Sugar Bowl opt-out stakeout. The big news is Bryce Young and Will Anderson, two of the best players in the country. They are two of the projected top five to go in the draft this year, which is in Kansas City. It's been announced that they will play. They will play in the Sugar Bowl. It was also mentioned by Nick Saban, the head coach of the Alabama Crimson Tide, duh, that he is not expecting any opt-outs for the bowl game. So if they're not in the transfer portal, they're going to play in the game. That, that That's very significant news. Very significant news. K-State's going to get Alabama's best shot. And I hope it's still the case that Alabama's going to get K-State shot. Makes things very intriguing. I said in the last hour, I was surprised that they're going to still play. I mean, Bryce Young deal with a shoulder injury earlier this year. But also, I respected the decision. I think it's a baller move for them to stick with it. I mean, they're gone. I They got to be done after the Sugar Bowl anyway. And they're... Off to the NFL draft. I mean, Bryce Young's going to be the first pick in the draft. I mean, unless he doesn't want to play for the Texans, but uh, he's going to go. And so will Anderson, and so will a number of others out of, uh, out of Alabama. They're going to go early. It's going to happen. But for them to actually play, stick with the team, play throughout the season, finish it up, very respectable. I think that's a great move, and it certainly makes this game big. Big. I, I, I did like the reaction from K-State fans, most of what I saw, that, uh, yeah, we're, we're all pumped up too, right? Bring it. I mean, it, I was pretty pumped when I saw the news, but there's also those out there, and I did read a few of these. I know in the message boards this has been a uh, 
a reaction as well. Oh, God. We're going to get our asses kicked, aren't we? It's Alabama. They're going to have all their best players. Well, Anderson's going to tear us up. Bryce Young is the man. Wiseman Trophy winner. We're done. We're screwed. To me, especially this year, is a ridiculous thought. We are some of the most self-defeatist fans at times. I Well... I, I wouldn't just put K-State on. There's a lot of fan bases, especially those that aren't always in the spotlight. And K-State's not always in the spotlight. But this year, definitely the most spotlight they've received since probably 2014. Yes. This team won the Big 12 championship. They just beat an undefeated TCU team that had a a Heisman finalist at quarterback. It's a really good defense. That they beat as well. Beat a great offense. That's a great team. They're into the college football playoff. Alabama is absolutely beatable. Yes, they are full of talent. Got all these five stars and four stars. So does a lot of teams that K-State has played. I mean, just to name a couple. Oklahoma and Texas. True. A couple of them. I mean, the four and five stars aren't everything. Alabama is an excellent team. But now with Bryce Young, Will Anderson, they're going to play. What I love now is that K-State has become America's team. Because nobody wants to see Alabama win this game. Now, all the experts, I would say most of them, are going to say, you know, if uh, in you know college game day will be the same way, well, if Oklahoma or Oklahoma, if Alabama didn't have Will Anderson and Bryce Young, K State has a great shot of winning this game. But I just feel like with all the star power that Alabama has, nobody opt out. This is a complete team. They wanted to see the rest of the season play out. They're going to stick with this team. They're real bonded or whatever. You know, they're going to throw out a whole bunch of stuff. Alabama's going to get this done. I want to point out that K State is less than a touchdown underdog right now. That's the best odds a, an opponent for Alabama has had this year. Out of 105 games for Alabama, how many times have they been in the underdog in the last 105 games? How many times has Alabama been the underdog? Once. And that was in the national championship game. I think the scary thing about Alabama is they're, they're, if they're down, they're not down and out. You've you got to play a complete 60 minutes. But now that we know that Alabama's at full strength, I was just I, I turned on the channel before the Cure Bowl started, and they're talking on ESPN. They're talking Alabama and K State because this is, of course, a national headline. But nobody wants to see Alabama win this game. It, everybody wants Alabama to lose. Well, not everybody, but most, of, of course, other than Alabama fans. And I know the college football playoff is no longer a thing for Alabama. They're not going to win the SEC or whatever. But it's so rare to see Alabama lose a game. They've been such a juggernaut and such a dynasty since Nick Saban took over. It's so rare to see them lose. So this is going to send a lot of eyeballs. I think the ratings are going to be much higher than they would have been if Bryce Young and Will Anderson didn't play. The, the ratings would have been great already, but there's going to be even more now because this is such a big game now. 
and K-State absolutely has a shot. I mean, to me, this is like, this is Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair, Great American Bash, 1986. The working man, the American dream, Dusty Rhodes against the dynasty. Ric Flair, multi-time world champion, the four horsemen by his side. And Dusty Rhodes, he did it for the working man. He did it for America. He dethroned the dynasty, the juggernaut that was the nature boy Ric Flair, even though the horsemen tried to do what they could to stop Dusty Rhodes from winning that match. It was a cage match, by the way. Four horsemen, great, great faction, by the way. So you mentioned the limited number of losses. I just pulled up stat reference just to double-check something. Mm Mm-hmm. The most number of losses under Nick Saban were in his first season. They went right. seven and six. Mm-hmm. Everything else, the the lowest number, or excuse me, the highest number since that point, two years after that, twenty ten, when they went ten and three, they have not lost more than two games in a season since two thousand and eight. I felt like this was already the case, but to me, this is a this is with the Big Twelve Championship, of course. This could be a great launch pad for Coach Kleiman. Oh, gosh. On top of what we already know is committed and going to be inked to letters of intent coming up. And there's only been one Big 12 team that has beaten Nick Saban since he's been at Alabama. Oklahoma. Yeah, that was in a, that was in a Sugar Bowl. Yep. It was like 2013 or something like that. I love that K-State is now America's team right now. I, It'll be more of a known thing when we get closer to the to the Sugar Bowl. But man, this is I, I think this has just added some fuel to the fire. Will Howard gets the chance to outshine a former Heisman Trophy winner. Felix Andy DK Uzama has a chance to try to outshine one of the best defensive players in the country. Heck, I think you can argue he might be Alabama's best defensive player of all time. With the awards, the the accolades, the numbers, there's a great argument. Deuce Vaughn, on the other side of the field of Deuce Vaughn, will be, I shouldn't say the other side of the field, the offense of Alabama has a similar type of running back who is going to go in the NFL draft He's a dual threat, that dual threat running back who can run well and also catch passes. But Deuce Vaughn has a chance to outshine Jameer Gibbs. I'm pumped. And I absolutely think K-State can win this game. We said it with D.Y. last week. I felt like the odds are appropriate. Five and a half to seven point underdog is K-State. Yeah. I see this as a close game. I really do. It's not like K-State is so undermanned in this game. They're going to miss a couple of guys in the secondary. We know that. But Malik Knowles should be back. Echo Boydo should be back for this game. Other than, of course, missing an offensive lineman and Taylor Portier, missing a couple of defensive backs, should be good to go. Alabama's going to be missing a couple of contributors at wide receiver and one starting offensive lineman. So there you go. The table is set. And to me, 
one of the, if not the, biggest game in K-State history is going to take place on December 31st. When we come back, Mitch Palm, Cats, Nebraska, after the break. Knew I couldn't trust the Roadrunners. I blew it. Second half. Troy's going to win 18-12 to after a turnover by UTSA. They don't even score in the second half. couple of turnovers late in this ballgame they've committed. Jeez Louise. Well, my confidence was only two. So there you go. Where's your highest confidence? I think for the moment I've got it lodged on championship night so that I can go in and change it a little later. I, I to the roof, I sent the, the celebration bull. Jackson nice. State. Nice. They're going to finish undefeated. Shout out to Deion Sanders. Got Mitch Palm coming up here in just a few moments. They threw a flag. I was hoping that it would be something. Nah, never mind. Forget <laughs> it. I need to stop watching this. Just need to focus on this. One of the good guys at the mic for Troy, Barry McKnight, handles their radio, so he'll at least go out of there with a bowl ring. Do you know him or something? Yes. Amazing how that works. Do you have his phone number in your phone? Yes. Are you going to text him afterwards? I might. When's the later. last time you shared a text with him? Uh, probably right after everything got messy. So it's been a couple of years couple of years at least yeah. yeah but we almost three social media is still there so there's other areas how do you know him just one of the networking situations that i've built over mm-hmm. the years someone i've networked with tried to look for some answers regarding some things in how they were running their broadcasts and where we could improve ours at the time well i have jim ross his phone number in my phone so. okay so you outrank me that's fine He is kind of a big deal. All right. Tomorrow, T-Mobile Center. Yes, the very same venue where Janet Jacks will be on May 2nd. Shania Twain will be there in July. Who else will be there? Uh, Impractical Jokers have a show coming up. That's got to be too big of a venue. I know. I love Impractical Jokers. But Joe isn't a part of the show anymore. I don't think they could sell out the T-Mobile Center, could they? I don't know. That could be a small crowd. I remember when... uh, Cheech and Chong did a show at the um, the Expo Center, and there were like a hundred people there. Really, I was like, "This out." First of all, it was extremely poorly promoted, poor promotion. Like, I think they were just hoping on word of mouth. Like, oh, hey, Cheech and Chong, who haven't put out a movie in two decades, is going to be at in Topeka. No. Wasn't good enough. War, the band War was also performing. It was a good show. It was fun. Uh, All right. T-Mobile Center will have the Cats and Nebraska Cornhuskers, a rematch of last year's win for K-State in Lincoln. The two former Big 12 rivals meet once again in Kansas City is where this is taking place. It's time to get the algorithm out. Ken Palm has one prediction. This is way better. It's time for Mitch Palm. Here's Mitch Palm 
with tomorrow. tonight's prediction. Uh, Cats are 9-1, Nebraska 6-5. and five. I saw the Vegas odds actually just a few seconds ago. I see K-State is a two-and-a-half point favorite. By the way, I also looked at before the show the ticket sales. Now, I know there's a number of the tickets on secondary sites, but when it comes to what the lower bowl looks like, it looks pretty sold out, at least pretty close from last I saw. Also, there's a number of nosebleeds up for grabs as well, but it should be a really good crowd in, uh, in Kansas City tomorrow night. Tip off at six. Nebraska, a public land grant research university in Lincoln, a couple hours away. Which, by the way, uh, oh, gosh dang it, what's that arena called? Pinnacle? Is it Pinnacle Bank Arena? There you go. Uh, Shania Twain will also be there uh, coming up soon. Uh, anyway, charted in 1869. How about this? Before 1990, Nebraska actually had a bunch of nicknames for its teams. They are at one time named the Nebraska Old Gold Knights. They are also at once upon a time the Nebraska Antelopes, which is now Nebraska Kearney. <laughs> How about this one? They used to be the Nebraska Rattlesnake Boys. Here come the Rattlesnake Boys. Bet they had great moonshine. And then the nickname that they had before becoming the Nebraska Cornhuskers was the Nebraska Bug Eaters. I think that's a better representation of the fan base. Cornhuskers is such a boring name. Bug Eaters is an attention grabber. What are you more of? I don't know if either one is intimidating, but here's a funny story. So. In 1900, when the change was made, there was a Lincoln sports writer by the name of Charles Sherman, nationally renowned sports editor at the time, and uh, also part of the Associated Press. He was also he helped originate the the poll, by the way. He provided the nickname that had gained fame of the century with Cornhuskers. That was the headline, right? But the story was that he was trying to get rid of bug eaters. He didn't think that was that was unglamorous of a nickname. Well, also, the Iowa Hawkeyes were kind of going through an identity crisis as well. They also kind of called themselves the Cornhuskers at the time. But in 1900, Iowa was like, you know, we're kind of feeling more of the Hawkeyes nickname. So then Nebraska was like, all right, if they're not going to be the Cornhuskers, we're going to be the Cornhuskers. How about that story? What if Iowa decided to stick with Cornhuskers? Is Nebraska like, oh boy, then we might stay the bug ears. Imagine that reality. The series, K-State leads at all time, 128-93. to That was much wider than I thought it was going to be. Cats have won six straight dating back to the 08-09 season, but hey, Mitch Palm has taken notice that K-State against Fred Hoiberg is 6-6, 50-50. Cats versus Fred Hoiberg, who of course coached for five years against or with Iowa State against K-State, one of those meetings in the Big 12 tournament. Last year, Cats, with the victory, advantaged K-State here with a 12-2 run in the second half that helped build a lead. The final score is 67-58. One of the leading scorers in the game for K-State was Ish Masood. He hit a big three-pointer 
in that second half. Nigel Pack had 15 points. They also forced 17 Nebraska turnovers and turned it into 22 points. Also second chance points. Cats with the big advantage, 15 to 6. All right, looking at the Nebraska Cornhuskers, 6-5 and five team, 0-2 in Big Ten play, trying to bounce back from a heartbreaker. They lost to number 1 Purdue on Saturday, 65-62. Their defense was really good, was Nebraska, against the number 1 team in the country. As a matter of fact, uh, Purdue, the number 1 team in the country when it comes to offensive efficiency. And Nebraska still only allowed 65 points even including overtime. But they are held to 0.99 points per possession and shot 39% from the floor. Mitch Palm has taken big notice of that. Now, Saturday's game is a homecoming game for their star player. He is a super senior in Derek Walker. He's a 6'9 forward. Yesterday, it was Jerome Tang who mentioned like 6'9". He seems taller than that. Also thought he was a lefty. He's actually a righty. That's how good he is with the left hand. This is going to be a tough stop for this K-State defense. David Gasson will really have to step up and play some strong defense and take care of the basketball. He's played very well in the last four games, but in that Butler game, the defense is a bit iffy. That's somewhere he really needs to get better. Right now, Walker, who has not played the whole season, he's only played in six games for the Nebraska Cornhuskers so far, is 3-3 three and three since his return. The last three games have been against teams in the top 15. Nebraska's 1-2 against them. Their win is against Creighton in Omaha. But right now, Walker is averaging 15 points, 9 rebounds, and shooting 69%. If he stays on pace and still continues to shoot around 69%, he will statistically be, in a single season, the best shooter in Nebraska history. The record is Larry Cox, who shot 62.5%. Now, Nebraska, they do have some struggles, and here they are, hitting threes consistently. Nebraska shooting 30.9%. From three-point range, that's not good. That's 293rd in the country, tied with Wichita State. And Wichita State did not exactly shoot well from three against the Cats. Also, if if you send Nebraska to the free-throw line, they're not exactly strong there either. Just 64% from the foul line. That's not a good number either. That's 320th in the country out of 350 teams. That's no bueno. Not a good... Not a good number there. Now, teams also shooting decently well against him. 43% from the field, 33% from three-point range. That could be better. Uh, that's middle of the pack in the country, but that is towards the bottom in the in the in the pack or back in the Big Ten. Get my uh, conferences mixed up, but also not a ton of depth for Nebraska. All their starters are scoring in double figures. One player off the bench is at nine points a game. Everybody else is under four points a game. Not a lot, just not a lot of stats to go around after the six I mentioned. So they get a they got a solid like starting five. They're not bad. A decent guy off the bench, a six man. Other than that, nothing really much to worry about. All right, after that's all said and done, some good things about Nebraska. Some not th- good, so good things about Nebraska. You know how we got to wrap this up though. Famous alumni. We're going to start with Johnny Carson. 
Mitch Palm is a Johnny Carson fan, even though didn't get to watch much of it. I, Mitch Palm has seen some clips. Liked what he's seen. You know, the Johnny Carson show, the Tonight Show, that was a proving ground. It used to be a proving ground for stand-up comedians. That could have been a major launch pad, you know, before the Comedy Store was around. When Mitzi Shore started the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, before mm-hmm. that came around. And if old Johnny Carson called you over the bench, or over the bench, the couch, after your set, that was almost like... That made your career. That, that, like a passing of a torch in a way. Yeah. Yep. Like, hey, welcome to the club, buddy. You're pretty funny. Next is Mean Gene Okerlund. Troy, do you know who that is? Yes, of course I do. Professional wrestling interviewer, announcer, television host. To me, he's the best interviewer in wrestling history. One of the best voices ever. Unfortunately, he passed away just a few years ago. That's an impressive alumni list so far. But last and certainly least, Scott Frost. Unfortunately, this famous alumni, according to Mitch Palm is a horrible look for Nebraska. It doesn't matter who you throw out other than that to, to try to improve those numbers. Larry the Cable Guy, <laughs> uh, Warren Buffett, I'm sorry, but it's just not enough to cancel out Scott Frost. A walking, living, breathing, as a coach, jabroni. There's only one key to this game, and it was on the bus ride to Kansas City. Jerome Tang and this coaching staff on the bus ride to uh, to Kansas City showed the team Miracle in Manhattan. Part one, by the way. Somebody, you can hear in the background, Part there's, there's more than one part? <laughs> Not quite. Uh, there's, I guess there's supposed to be. It just hasn't been made yet, even though Miracle in Manhattan Part one has been out for a while. Anyway, though, that that is encouraged. Jerome Tang, that is motivated Jerome Tang. Now it's being used as a tool to motivate this team before tip-off in Kansas City. If Cats by 90 was realistic, Mitch Palm would go that way. Ken Palm has the Cats winning chance at 59%. Final score, 67-65. Mitch Palm has considered everything, is giving K-State a better chance of winning at 68%. Final score, 70 to 64 so keep that number in mind. 70 to 64, Cats a winner in Kansas City. After a quick break, your number one song of the day after this.
from 1985. Broken Wings by Mr. Mister. Two weeks at number one. Rock band from Phoenix, Arizona. Boy, how many bands can you name that are from Phoenix, Arizona? Very few. I can't think of any. Other than Mr. Mister. Bands from <laughs> Phoenix. Now I'm, now I'm curious. Uh, oh, Meat Puppets. How could I forget? Seriously. Yeah, Meat Puppets. Uh, that's about it. That's the only band I recognize. Hmm. Oh, Soulfly, I guess, is from. Eh, I don't care about them, really. Let's see. Can I find music? Let's see here. Now that's really about it. Uh, Gin Blossoms are from Tempe. So I wasn't too far off in my thought. Did you say Gin Blossoms? I didn't. It just was in my head. Well, then it doesn't count. Thanks. <laughs> uh, okay, so Mr. Mister was only active for eight years. They wrapped up in 1990. They were a very popular warm-up band when this song came out. They ended up touring with Don Henley, The Bengals, Eurythmics, and when this song came out, they actually launched this song as a single the same day that they went out on tour with Tina Turner. Nice. That's a talk about playing for some great crowds and also Heart. They used to open for Heart. Uh, now they also had the honor of being one of the headline acts for the very first MTV Spring Break. Which was in 1986. The other band that was heavily promoted and advertised was Starship. That makes sense. It was in Daytona Beach, Florida in 1986, like I mentioned. Also there was the Beastie Boys, Loverboy, and the Bangles. Why did Mr. Mr. break up? Well, they said their record company at the time was RCA... They were kind of going through this regime change and also kind of a a sound change as well. They're kind of going a different direction in the sound they wanted to put out there. But meanwhile, Mr. Mister just recorded their fourth album. Well, RCA didn't really want to put it out there. Said it was too commercial sounding for them. Just ignored the follow-up album and then... Mr. Mister was so fed up with them, they just kind of disbanded and started to do their own things. Four studio albums, four top 40 hits, first of two number ones, and it's from their real breakthrough album called Real World. Welcome to the Real World, and it was, again, their second album. They got two number ones out of it. Kyrie was the other one. It was, Ky- it was Kyrie, right? Kyrie. Or Kyrie. Sorry, Latin. No, I was like, I was just kind of like shrugging it off. I was like, Okay, guys, you're from Arizona. Let's cool it. Uh, Let's see here. The song was inspired by a book that their lyricist John Lang read called The Broken Wings by Khalil Gibran. I don't know. But the thing was, the Beatles also got influence from the very same book. Might remember this song called Blackbird. Well, I guess um, 
Mr. Mr. wasn't paying attention because they had a pretty important line in this song, take these broken wings and learn to fly. You know, it's kind of the chorus. Take these broken wings and learn to fly again. The very same lyric, the very same sentence is in Blackbird. Oh. And Mr. Mr. was like, oh, crap, we didn't even notice. I'm, I'm like, okay. I mean, what band wasn't at one time a little bit influenced by the Beatles? And I mean, Blackbird was kind of a big song, wasn't it? I knew it was a little late, but it was a popular song. Am I wrong? It wasn't number one. I think it had its. I think it had it run on the charts. Makes me wonder, like, how many of those act kind of accidents have taken place, where you steal a pretty big line from a pretty big song, put it in your own. It's a big song. That is probably too hard to stati- have any statistics on, but this is also one of those songs that they basically wrote it in twenty minutes. They just banged it out, recorded it, <laughs> took nothing. It was absolutely no effort. And this song is over five minutes long. It's like, how can you write a five-minute song in 20 minutes? They did it. Apparently, they are geniuses for two seconds. I thought this was a bigger song because I started looking around and I was like trying to go through all these lists and trying to find where this song is ranked in the 80s. Best 80 songs of all time. They're not a one-hit wonder, so they wouldn't be on a list like that. I couldn't find it anywhere. Really? The only list I could find this ranked, Weekly Top 40. Sure. Put out a, a top 100 for every year in the 80s. And they had it on the list for 86, which his song was a single in 85. And it came in at number 83. One of the reasons was there. I know it got featured in a few episodes of Silver Spoons in '86, which helped drive it. Probably some on the charts. All right, I'm over this song. It's it's good to hear it once when you're playing it back to back. It just kind of I get it. All right, I'm I I'll listen to it in another six months or so. All right, it's time for Ask Us Anything. Troy, I'm excited to hear what you got for us, but we can't start until the music starts. Oh, there it is. All right. Friday afternoon. Mm-hmm. You've got the Friday evening in front of you. Okay. Nothing else to do. What's a usual Friday night plan around the Fortner household? I would go to Lindsay's house. <laughs> That is that's the default. Okay. Now, if I wasn't going there, and I think because I have to come in later tonight, but I, I got time to kill. I'm gonna do one of my favorite things to do, and I don't get to do it much, especially this time of year. I'm gonna put on a record. I'm gonna play some video games. Nice. And I'm just gonna chill out. But it doesn't get too exciting in my household. Lindsay's is more exciting. Mine is just, it's me. And I could probably be doing better things with my time. I should probably do a little Christmas shopping, but to be honest with you, I don't really feel like it tonight. Understand. 
Friday nights tend to find you at the point where you're going, okay, this week is over, thank God. And you just look to veg. I got a question for you. Okay. Did your family have a a Christmas tradition you didn't like? My answer would be, I, I never liked when we would, we had to eat. We always had to eat before gifts. And I was like, man, I've, I see, as a kid, I see the gifts. All right, can we just can we just get that knocked out? And we could play with our stuff, do whatever, but also, you know, we could get to the meal. Because as a kid, you're, you, want the, you want the presents first and then the meal. No, you got to sit there. You got to wait for the adults to finish up. They're going to talk afterwards. You're like, come on, let's open these gifts. Do you have one? We did midnight mass every year. Which meant that we had to leave for the church usually about 11 o'clock because Holton is a very small Catholic church. I'm not trying to offend anybody on this, but if I had to do that, that would that that sucks. I that that would just drive me nuts. Midnight mass? No, thank you. Sloan just giving me that cut symbol too for the same reason midnight mass yeah. no thanks uh and and on top of it you know if you pay attention on christmas eve you literally can watch the pope's mass at 10 30 at night on christmas eve nbc used to run it that way so is this, then is so, still a thing i've never even heard of that i know the pope would you know obviously have a mass but yes it was aired on nbc yes it was hmm. Never knew that. And so, you know, we'd have that running. So by the time everything was done, I was pretty well churched out. Troy Coverdale was not a midnight mascot. And that's Christmas Eve? Yes. Ugh. Um, It would always be overly hot in the church. Of course, we were crammed in because, again, it's a very small church. So you had to be there very early to get your seeds. The great idea on how to skip midnight mass this year. Well, it's on a Saturday this year nobody wants to go to midnight mass on a saturday well especially if you have a 5 30 that you can go to 5 oh good lord why are we going to church so late i don't (laughs) i don't know what that means uh we're coming up on needing to get out okay i'm guessing 30 seconds 10 seconds oh go cats that works have Have a good good weekend